Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Good Good Judgment Judgment Podcast. Podcast. Folks, this is a podcast that's purpose is for Georgia judges or anybody else who might be interested in what goes on in the courtroom. Please understand that we are Georgia-focused, meaning that we are going to focus our attention on issues that arise under Georgia law, but occasionally we will get into some subjects of common interest. And we really appreciate you folks listening. And as we go to the studio audience, we ask, please hold your applause till the end. All right, now to the studio. Hello, folks, and welcome back to the Good Judgment Podcast. I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm still Tane Kell, and we really appreciate you listening to the Good Judgment Podcast. So, Tane, we are going to discuss a topic today that has seemed to kind of explode in frequency. (laughs) Sorry, we don't have sound effects, guys. Wow. Wow. Yeah. that explode in frequency during the pandemic, especially. So family violence and stalking protective orders. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we're blessed in Cobb County to have senior judges who hear most, if not all of our temporary protective order cases. And so I will may well be asking as many questions as answering them during this episode. But let me just give a shout out to my senior judges. Thanks. That's great because I think it's great when one of us deals with a subject like this in one of our episodes because it makes the other person ask some legitimate questions that may not be immediately apparent when it's, it's the subject is something we both do a lot of. So hopefully you may ask some questions that our listeners also have. So let's get started. So in Augusta, we treat protective orders as domestic relations cases, even though they are not considered domestic relations cases in a more broad sense. They're really just civil cases. And I'm going to apologize early and often because especially if we get off sort of our, our, our scripted sort of conversation, I'm going to refer to one of these as a TPO. I always have. Sure. They're, it really it, that's incorrect because they're not just TPOs. Right. They're, they're not just temporary protective orders. They're really protective orders. But it's just a bad habit, and I'm going to apologize now because I'll use that acronym while we talk. So let's start with family violence protective orders, Tane, and and thou all of that is sort of embodied in OCGA 19-13-3. Every time a statue decided, an angel gets his wings. Oh, those angels. And so there's a couple other code sections right there with it that that apply. But under 19.9.3, and Tane, we probably need to stress a couple of sort of features of family violence protective orders that that really aren't in the statute as you turn basically you would find that there's a couple of features of a family violence protective order. Sure. Uh, And I think, you know, while they may seem obvious from the name, um, it's important to underscore. First of all, the petition, the person who is petitioning uh, has to qualify as family and that person must allege violence. And those are important because sometimes the people we're talking about aren't family, and sometimes what they're alleging is just annoying, but it's not violent. Is that right, Wade? That is 100% right, and that happens much more than, than one might believe. So, so how do we define family under 19.3.1? So under 19.3.1, family would include present or past spouses, persons who are parents of the same child, parents and children, 
step-parents and stepchildren, foster parents and foster children, or other per- persons living or formerly living in the same household. So, so, so let me let me ask okay. you the first example that comes to mind. Okay. The new girlfriend is really, really bugging me. And she is just really aggravating me and calling me and doing stuff that's annoying to me. Um, I'm going to file a protective order action against her, right? No. Okay. Because unless it's one of those three's company things. Yeah. Where y'all all used thruple. to live in the same house. We're a thruple. Is that a thing? That's a thing, I man. didn't know that. Oh, you should we get live, out dude, more. Dude, we live in Augusta. We live in the dude, woods, you man. You should get out more. You really should. So, but anyway, so, so we're, basically, unless we're a thruple, it doesn't, it's not a thing. Correct. But you could be your roommate. It, it could be somebody that you were simply sharing a home with, you know, trying to cut your rent, not in a romantic relationship. But we've never lived together. She's she's just she's just his new girlfriend. and That person, like no, we're not going to do a family violence protective order. Now, we might get to a stalking protective order. Right. We'll talk about it in a minute. Right. But we're not going to do a family violence protective order. Okay. So the definition of violence can also be found in 19.3, at 19.3.1. And that would include any felony. Okay. Or the commission of the offenses of battery, simple battery, simple assault and assault, stalking, criminal damage to property, unlawful restraint, or criminal trespass. What I try to tell people and Tane, do you think it's okay if we use blue language on this podcast? Yeah, nobody's listening anyway. Go ahead, Wade. <laughs> well, I, th- I think that you can't. These actions are not available because that person in your life is an asshole. Yes. This is because they committed their family. Right. And they committed a specific act that qualifies under the statute. Like my ex-spouse keyed my car. Okay. That's criminal, criminal damage. damage to property. Here we go. And it's your ex-spouse or whatever. Yeah, so That's not just annoying. That crossed the line to criminal damage to property, which is specifically enumerated in the statute. Or to a country song. Yeah, exactly. Um, venue. Because he cheats or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, song yeah. Is. Thank Very you, good. Carrie. You don't Thank get you, out Carrie much. Underwood. You don't get out much, but I that's don't. pretty good. Yeah. Venue. All right. So, Tane, venue in these cases. Tell the folks how venue is sort of established. I know this because it's right here on this page in front of me, but venue in these cases lies in the superior court where the respondent resides unless the defendant is a non-resident of Georgia. And we know that because that's under OCGA section 19-3-2. If a non-resident of Georgia, if you have someone outside the state, then the venue lies where the petitioner resides or where the act involving family violence occurred with reference to the long-arm statute. So that's how we make that determination. So, Tane, you are, would you say that you are a civil sort of litigation? That's where your heart lies a little bit? That's where my background was. Yeah, that's what I did when I was uh, growing up. Well, these are civil cases, and, and that's really important to note for people. And this whole jurisdiction, or excuse me, venue thing, really sort of is in line with the whole civil practice act. It really is. And and I mean, that makes sense if you think about it, because what we're really doing here is, is exercising our equity jurisdiction to restrain people from doing certain acts, from being somewhere, from having contact with people. And so they're civil in nature, even though the actions they relate to may be criminal, in other words, somebody may have committed a felony or someone may have committed, you know, criminal damage to property or whatever. Um, 
the remedy is civil in nature, and that's what we're asking for. So when I have the final hearings on these, and after I've issued an ex parte order, mm-hmm. the defendant probably will come in, and I would say 90% of the time is pro se. And as I try to explain what this is, I say, look, this is not criminal. This Nobody today, we're not going to decide today if anybody's going to jail, pay a fine, be on probation, none of that. But what we talk about very well either already has or may arise in a criminal proceeding. Therefore, you see this court reporter sitting here, anything that you say today could be used against you in another context. So you Mm -hmm. have an absolute right to be here or get up and leave. And if you get up and leave out of here, the deputies are going to open the door for you. Mm -hmm. They're not going to keep you here because you're under some sort of like mandate to appear. This is not a criminal case. I can't tell you how many people go, oh, I mean, they really don't understand what these are. Right. All right. So. We talked about venue. Um, Tane, you're the civil law guy. Yeah. Can you waive venue? Yes. Can you waive jurisdiction? No. Okay. So that's true in almost every civil case, right? Yes. And that's true here? Yes. What about... Um, should the judge dismiss sua sponte a case where it appears that venue would properly lie in Cobb County and something that was filed in Augusta. No, you're, you're going to want to transfer that case uh, just like you would a civil, any other civil case under the Uniform uh, Transfer Act. Or let somebody come in and make an issue of, of venue, right? Exactly, because it could be waived, and so they may be willing to. We have, I mean, I'll just be honest with you, in Cobb County, we have a lot of uh, divorce actions that are filed probably not in the proper venue, but people would rather have them decided in Cobb County because they're faster or whatever, some other reason. And so we let them waive venue. I can't tell you, I have heard from lots of people that rich and famous people are getting divorced across the state. Hmm. Like they are intentionally waiving venue and filing it in Hey Hira. Yeah. Because they don't want the local news media to see their financial affidavits. And stuff. Shout out to our good judges in Hayhower, Georgia. Hey, uh, y'all. Um, so where the Family Violence Act, Tane, is felt in Georgia. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's received or whatever. Yeah. But it's actually committed in North Carolina. Right. That does not allow the judge in Georgia to issue a family violence protective order. Usually you're talking about their threats, emails, texts, phone calls, whatever. That's right. And that's that's the Anderson versus D's case, D-E-A-S, 273 Georgia Appeals, 770, and that's a 2005 case. Exactly. So, so if that is an issue in your jurisdiction and venue, you may not have jurisdiction in Georgia. Again, that's jurisdiction and venue is always said as, as if it were one concept and it's two very different concepts. Jurisdiction can yeah. never be waived. Venue can be waived. Yeah. So they Tame. called and they called and threatened you over the phone. And just cause you were driving through, uh, Augusta at the time they threatened you doesn't mean Augusta gets, gets venue. Correct. Now, assuming they were out of state. Yeah, they were, right. they were over in South Carolina across the, across the water. Tame, what's the, Evidentiary standard generally in civil cases? Preponderance. And that's it. And see, see, folks, that's the thing I, I'm just trying to, to sort of underscore. We get confused as is this domestic or, or, or is this criminal? This is a pure civil action. Mm-hmm. And as Tane said, we're going to exercise that equitable jurisdiction. So 
There is also, Tane, a, a misconception, and I will be honest with you, I have been guilty of this, and I have said this, I think, maybe exact phrase, that the act of family violence must be fairly recent. Well, the law says, no, that's not true. It actually, there's a case that is directly on point, which is Lewis, L-E-W-I-S versus Lewis, 316 Georgia Appeals 67 2012 case. They, they held that, that while the judge says, I'm not going to issue a, a family violence protective order because it wasn't recent alleged violence, they said that the burden of proof is on the petitioner to show that the respondent engaged in family violence at some unspecified time in the past and that the respondent may engage in such violence again in, at uns, some unspecified time in the future. The recency of past violence may inform whether the likelihood of future violence is likely, but the relatively recent thing is not a requirement of the law. And, and to be honest with you, you, you would think at some point there would have to be a statute of limitations or yeah. latches or laches. <laughs> and I just, there's no law that says it has to be within the last four years, six years, eight years. Hmm. And I don't think they really want to answer that question. They want to give the judge the discretion that he or she needs to stop the acts of family violence. Yeah. And, and I guess that makes sense because depending on, a lot of different factors, how severe the act was, whether they could find the person, whether the person committed that act and maybe disappeared and has now reappeared in their life or something. I mean, they may want to give you the ability to enforce that at this point in time. Well, let me ask a question, Wade. Okay. Are these, cause I, I know a little bit about civil, civil law and, and domestic type cases. Do these petitions have to be verified? They do. They have to be verified. And the, you know, we always ask everybody at NJO, so does the answer have to be verified? There's a whole, there's a whole rabbit hole you can fall down in the right. Civil Practice Act. But, they, but the petition has to be verified. Now, Tane, in Augusta, if somebody files one of these petitions, because usually in the description of, of acts that constitute family violence, they'll write like three words. Like, yeah, right. you know, hit me or they don't give you any details, any frame of reference. Right. We actually have a hearing ex parte, where we talk to a live individual under oath. Do you know if that is what is generally done in your jurisdiction? It is. Okay. It is. They, they have a similar hearing and then, and then set the, 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 the hearing on the longer term remedy. What I would so, call the final hearing. Yeah. What you would call the final hearing. I think we call it the 30 day hearing or something like that. But, uh, it, well, I'm so glad you just said that <laughs> you just tripped over an issue. Yes. I learned this literally two weeks ago. And I would have told you I have done this wrong a hundred times, but in order for me to tell it, let me, let me go backwards to go forward. Sure. The forms that you need to address these family violence petitions are, can be found on the clerk's website. And, and I always do this wrong. GSCCCA.org. I actually have that bookmarked on my website. And so I can go, if I need an order in the middle of a hearing, I can go right there. And that site is also going to be found in the notes that will be on our website at goodjudgepod.com. Very good. Nice hook. All right. So one of the forms is an order of continuance. And it says for good cause shown the, 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 Hearing previously set on this date is hereby, you know, continued and set to this date. Huh? Well. Wait, I'm going to do my Scooby-Doo. <laughs> That's pretty good. Thanks. Um, my problem is 
I misunderstood that. Mm -hmm. You see, there is a hard out of 30 days. The the final decision must be made in this case. Even I know that. And well, I didn't. And so I would if somebody came in and, for example, didn't have service yet. Well, I would just continue the current order and say you have to do it within the next 30 days or the next 20 days or whatever. But it would well be beyond the 30 days. And I'm telling you, that's just not allowed. You could continue a hearing, mm -hmm. but it's got to be within, within 30, 30 days. days. Well, and that makes sense because, I mean, let's go back and talk a little bit about how the statute works. It allows for ex parte <laughs> relief. And that's huge. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, you know, everybody underscore, 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 uh, you know, whenever you're doing something and allowing relief to be given ex parte, which may include someone being kicked out of the marital residence, uh, someone not being able to have contact with their children, uh, those kinds of things that you are doing ex parte. And I don't know about you, Wade, but sometimes we find out that the stuff we got told ex parte doesn't actually always pan out to be true. Sometimes we find out, and I say we, the judges who hear these cases find out that we did that because we've also got a divorce case pending and we needed that person to get out the house. Yep. It happens <laughs> way more than anybody would admit or want to admit. And and there are serious acts of violence and and people who are... I don't know any other word to use, but predators mm -hmm. and they have isolated their spouse and they are, they are emotionally and physically abusing that person. Mm -hmm. That is real. Yes. But out of the volume of, of family violence, protective orders we see, they are also a very small percentage of the overall number of cases that we see. Unfortunately, we see far more, I wanted to kick them out as a as a strategic issue in our divorce case. But but going back to what I was saying, the reason for having to have a hard and fast hearing within 30 days is if you can't put up a case within that 30 days where everybody is present, then the relief ought to be discontinued. It is. After that, yeah. 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 But that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Is it, it ought to end yeah. after 30 days. And I so, agree. So, now, so that's, what, that's what happens by operation of the statute. So one of the things that needs to be sort of understood is there is a continuance order, but it is not sort of flapping in the wind. It has to. The hearing still has to be conducted within that 30-day window. And if it's not, the case is dismissed as a matter of law. And that is, there are several appellate cases directly on point. We're going to have them in our outline. But I'm telling you, the, the, when it's dismissed as a matter of law, that means it can't be waived. It can't be forgiven. Now, the, this is an interesting issue that I just haven't seen any cases on this, and there's no law on it. So let's say, Tane, that, that you come to me and you want a uh, ex parte, family violence ex parte order against your lovely wife. Mm-hmm. Never have. But anyway. Correct. Good. But then you don't get her served. For some reason, she's in France or something, mm -hmm. which is possible. It is, yeah. Within the 30-day window. Mm -hmm. So I dismiss your case. Mm -hmm. Can you file tomorrow? I think you can. Yeah, but, I think but so too. Even though it's based on exactly the same conduct because that dismissal is without prejudice. Right. It's not a determination of merit. It is a procedural issue, I yes. guess, for lack of a better word. So, I think you're. I think you're right. I haven't seen cases on that, but no. but it. But again, this is a civil case. We're following, 
you know, the general parameters that, that civil cases would follow and where it got dismissed, not being heard on the merits, even though it's by operation of law, it didn't get heard on the merits, then it would generally be thought of as a dismissal without prejudice so that you could refile. And I'll tell you, the statute doesn't specifically say without prejudice, but I think that, that everything in my being re- sort of echoes what Tane just said, is that there's no determination of the merits. It's mm-hmm. all based upon a procedural issue. And then, of course, if there's a new act of violence uh, or, or other, well, violence as defined by the statute, then you can refile. Of well. course, always. So at the hearing that we're going to have, we finally got everybody served within 30 days. We have say it's hearing. 20, day 29. We're all there. And at the hearing, the standard is preponderance, just mm-hmm. as Tane's already discussed. If the judge finds that this burden has been met, the statute provides that the order will remain in effect for one year. Now, you will also notice on that website there are three-year orders and even permanent orders. That's a possibility, but not at the first hearing. At this final hearing, you must, if you find that the burden's met, you issue an order for one year. If the petitioner requests that it be extended to a three uh, three year or permanent restraining order, that is another separate hearing that mu- where that issue must be taken up. And if you don't believe me, check out OCGA nineteen thirteen four C. Every time a statue decided, an angel gets his wings. I, I believe you without even looking at it, Wayne. It's there. And a violation can be punished basically in two different ways by punishment as for a contempt action, because it's a written order, Tane. We talked about contempt actions. We did in the immediately preceding episode. Yeah. And or at least when we recorded it. Right. And or it can be the sort of predicate offense for an aggravated stalking account, uh, aggravated stalking count, mm-hmm. a violation of a uh, protective order. One of the collateral penalties associated with granting of a, of a protective order is that the respondent, he who he or she who was served, cannot possess a firearm, purchase a firearm, or be around firearms forever. forever. <laughs> and and if you think that's not important in many jurisdictions across this state, you don't know the 159 counties that I know. I mean, hunting and fishing license. Exactly. Not I mean, it's it's Ooh. a thing. Wait a minute. I can't have my shotgun. I can't. I can't have my my my. You know, rifle, hunting rifle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who no. Uh-uh. So that means a respondent could not receive a weapons carry license from our friends in probate court. We've talked to um, our judges on that. Judge Wood came in and talked to Absolutely. us about it. And my wife is one. Is one. She is. My favorite Imagine if a party is military, Tane, because remember I told you that. Right. They're out. They're out yeah, of they're career. Out the they're military. done. Military. That's exactly right. So I'm not making apologies or sort of introducing, you know, something you you need to have sympathy for anybody based upon what the allegations of some of these cases. It's just a consideration you need to be aware of. Well, and it's no different than, for example, in the criminal context where we understand that someone's going to be deported as a result of, you know, a a plea or a conviction or something. That's something that we're required to take into consideration. And I I agree with you. Or you lose your license because you're going to get a DUI or whatever. I I mean, at some point that's just, it is what it is. It's a consideration, but it is something you probably need to be aware of. Yes. Um, There are occasions when it is clear to me that the petitioner cannot meet the evidentiary burden, but it is also equally clear that the parties need to stay away from one another. And I will tell you that that there is a case where called Birch B versus Carboy, B-I-R-C-H-B-Y versus C-A-R-B-O-Y, 
311 Georgia Appeals 538, a 2011 case, that says if the parties consent, the court can enter a, what I've always called a civil restraining order, like you would under 91165 for somebody's water coming on your property or mm -hmm. something, you know, something else that you would enjoin. Right. You can issue an order, but only if the parties agree. So if the parties do not agree, which has happened, you rule on the facts of the case. And either you grant or not grant the TPO, and you don't try to solve everybody's problem. But if they agree, you can issue a civil restraining order, but without that consent, you simply rule on the evidence presented and let the chips fall where they may. And I, I, think, it's, I think it's important to point out that if the action gets converted and the parties agree to a civil restraining order, that doesn't carry that same penalty of not being able to be licensed to carry a firearm for forever, as we said before. Correct. And it would not be a predicate offense for stalking, mm -hmm. but it would be contemptible, contemptuous, contemptible, right? You could find somebody in contempt would be contemptible. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you look at me like, duh. All right. So real quickly. Look at you like I have no idea. <laughs> Stalking protective orders, they are under a whole different code section. Yes. The, the, all the forms and all in the same place on the website with the um, clerk's authority. But it, they start, they, they, the, the authority to grant a stalking protective order is really found in OCGA 16594. The statute is very similar, but it's, there is a little bit of difference. The, the act of stalking is actually defined in 16590, and basically it is defined by the first sentence of that statute. A person commits the offense of stalking when he or she follows, places under surveillance, or contacts another person at or about a place or places without the consent of the other person and for the purpose of harassing and intimidating the other person. I can't tell you the number of times that we have had these petitions filed based upon a single event. And there's actually case law, Norman versus Dobie, 321 Georgia Appeals 126, 2013 case. It's in your outline. It's on, it's on our website. But they say that a single act is insufficient to establish the crime of stalking. And so they're very, these orders, Tane, are really similar to the family violence protective orders. I mean, the procedure, the, the actually the whole, a lot of the venue provisions and all of that, they actually reference the, the family violence protective order statute. The one big difference is there's no requirement that the respondent be family. Right. This would be what we might use if we were having problem with a, um, my boyfriend's former baby mama. I can't tell you how many people have actually said that to me in a courtroom setting. Um, their friend, the new girlfriend, whatever. Right. This would be what you could use, the neighbor. It, they, they frequently arise in romantic relationships, but not always. The, the fired employee, I had one of those recently. And, and this would authorize the issuance of one of these ex parte orders and then having a final hearing and having the final determination made under this uh, code section. Now, Tane, talk to folks about th the fact that stalking's in both statutes. Right. Um, stalking, uh, stalking protective orders are very similar to family violence protective orders. 
only that the underlying acts are different and there is no requirement of a family relationship. Um, but stalking appears as one of those predicate offenses, Tane. Right. In the family violence orders. Yes. And here. That's so right. if it's stalking and family, mm-hmm. you've got a choice. You could do stalking or family violence. Right. But if it's someone who's not family, then you it would, has to be a stalking order and it has to fit in the definition of stalking. And and to be honest with you, this has the 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 federal authorities have read these to also have that same collateral penalty concerning firearms. Mm-hmm. I would tell you that that doesn't really say that, but it does. They have read it that way. So, so, so Wade, let me ask you a question about, about stalking protective orders. Okay. They're found in Title 16. Does that mean that they are criminal actions or are they still civil actions? So the stalking TPOs, you know, so, so sorry, see, I just did it. Yeah. The stalking protective orders, frankly, they are civil actions, but they are so intertwined in the criminal action as to at, at times almost be indistinguishable. And to sort of throw a law school exam question, you know, extra points point to you. One of the issues is that in a criminal sentencing matter, you are authorized to issue a permanent protective, protective order based upon an act of stalking. So you can a single act of yes. stalking, yes. And so you can do that, and so the the lines get all blurry, right? But you don't have one of these hearings. You don't file this petition. It's all a part of the sentencing statute. So right. just be aware, sixteen five ninety four, which is really the the sort of this independent civil action for stalking protective order. Mm-hmm. It is civil in nature. A lot of criminal components. It sounds like a criminal case. And it also sets up the ability at a later time to bring an aggravated stalking action. It's a predicate offense. Yes. So I think it bears discussion just for a moment on what we have learned in Augusta about why we have had this incredible spike in the number of protective orders, either family violence or stalking, that have been filed during the pandemic. When I talk about a spike, it is threefold. Wow from pre-pandemic issues. I know that ours are up too. I don't know exactly if, I don't think it's that high, but I know that ours are up significantly. We we get them on a five-judge rotation. Mm-hmm. So one, two, three, four, five, and then in three counties. It's not unusual for me to get three and four a week mm. that we have to sort of find the find the petitioner and get the order signed. But anyway, um, we learned that our law enforcement officers were in a jam, that they were going out to these calls and they didn't see the crime. They have some evidence, but maybe not enough to make, make them real excited. So rather than give the, the people involved the information on how they would do what we call a pre-warrant hearing or a warrant application hearing, they would give them the information how to seek a, temp, a, a protective order. Because they didn't want to put people in jail when the jail was stuffed with people already that mm-hmm. we couldn't try. So during the pandemic, it became all the rage to give people information about protective orders in lieu of either making a misdemeanor arrest or giving them information how they would could seek a a family violence you know, pre warrant you know actual warrant because what they were talking about was a crime. If it occurred, the officer right. didn't see it. And so it, it was a bad thing. Right. 
And we've had some conversations. I think the pandemic has made people a little crazy. I think mm-hmm. people got tired of being around that much family and friends. And, it, you know, you got a little stir crazy and people start acting up and acting stupid. Next thing you know, I want you to do something. Policeman says, can't do anything about it, but you could get a protective order. Sounds like a good idea. Let me run on down there tomorrow. And we were getting them out our ears. Wow. And so. Um, Any I, idea what the percentage was of orders, uh, either family violence or stalking orders, that actually came back for the 30 day hearing because very that's low. another, yeah, that's another thing that I've heard in our jurisdiction is that, you know, we get the initial uh, ex parte relief is granted. Nobody shows up for the, for the follow up hearing. You know, you talked about this earlier and I think you were being a little bit flippant about it. I mean, no, not in a negative way. I don't think you were meaning this as a deep thought, but to be honest with you, mm-hmm. it's really effective as an eviction action. True. You get somebody out of your house, then, they're out. They're out, so yeah. we can change the locks, and now we're good. Yeah. Because you didn't pay the rent, or you we broke up, or whatever. Right. Um, there are a lot of issues that go into family violence, and for those of you who have been around family violence issues, you know that, that it can be a very emotionally complicated situation. But I will tell you, Tane, and we talk to our new judges about this all the time, this is one of those issues that keeps judges up at night. Yeah. That, because you don't want to be wrong. You just don't want to be wrong, and you don't have any more of a uh, magic ball or ability to see in the future after being given a robe than you did before. But you also you say, hey, due process. Hey, you got to prove some stuff. Hey, you got to bring some evidence, and don't bring your cell phone and hand it to me because the Court of Appeals can't take your iPhone and look at your text messages or right. pictures or whatever. Right. But we don't. But we don't want to be wrong on those kinds of things. And you know, a piece of paper is not going to stop a crime from occurring. But at the same time. You don't want to be the guy who didn't issue the protective order and then something happens. Yeah, I mean, that really is the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, so we try the best we can to do what is right, do what is, is lawful, and at the same time do what is effective. We, we usually get it right, but sometimes I think we, despite our best efforts, we, we, we might miss that mark. So yeah. thank you, folks, for listening to this mess that we call the Good Judgment Podcast. <laughs> there are all sorts of... Other details regarding and relating to protective orders, both stalking and family violence that we could discuss and we will may well discuss in the future with some of these experts. But we wanted to get this information out because there has been across the state a significant spike in the number of family violence and stalking protective orders that have been filed. And so we thought might be a good time to hit a refresher on that. Yeah, and the message in these orders is clear. The statutory requirements have to be met before even the ex parte order is entered. Please take a moment and review these statutes to consider that you are making the correct determination. You know, it, we really love doing this, and we thank you for listening. We, we, can, we would ask, though, that you continue to help us help you in making podcast episodes that you find interesting, entertaining, and relevant. How can they do that, Wade? They can contact us via email at goodjudgepod at gmail.com. That's goodjudgepod at gmail.com. Or you can visit our website. If they want to just roam around a little bit and see what we've done, Wade, how would they do that? They could do that either in person or electronically. (laughs) Show up at my house. I'm going to get a stalking goodjudgepod.com that is goodjudgepod.com we'd welcome you to come and, and take a look and see if any of this is helpful to you well again thanks for listening to the good judgment podcast and always remember Stephen insert something funny there
Well, folks, that's all we have for another exciting and enthralling topic here on the Good Judgment Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Good Judgment Podcast. This project was the brainchild of Mr. Doug Ashworth, the executive director of ICJE. Thanks and appreciation to the entire University of Georgia College of Law for assisting in our recording. Thanks to Mr. Stephen Turner and his company, Turner Up Media, who helped edit out some of our stupidity and awkwardness. But nobody can get it all. Tane and I are eternally grateful to the Council of Superior Court Judges who allow us to lead new judge orientation for the Superior Court Judges across Georgia. Thanks to our NJO graduates who've been willing to help with this podcast series. You know that these are our opinions, and they do not reflect the opinions of ICJE, CSCJ, the University of Georgia College of Law, or anybody else for that matter. You can contact us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com for any praise, but please contact someone else with any complaints. But seriously, we would love to have your feedback, both good and bad. Send any comments to goodjudgepod at gmail.com. You've been doing a great job doing that. We really appreciate the help. You can also visit our website at goodjudgepod.com for outlines and more details about our podcasts. Once again, I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. Thanks for listening. Hey, Tane, I guess it's time to bang the gavel on this one. Any last thoughts before we wrap up this session? (laughs) Wax on, wax off. Thanks for listening to the Good Judge Men Podcast.